Welcome to the Bloom Podcast, Human Stories of Resilience. And I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we're recording today and paying my respects to their elders past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who might be listening. Hey, Steve. Hey, Susie. I've just had a, a moment I knew. Oh, just in the nick of time as well. Thank God for that. The moment I knew that we needed subterranean divers to retrieve my jaw. Can you be more specific? <laughs> There's a, a young white supremacist in the UK. He came up on charges of on terrorism offences. 70,000 white supremacist documents, bomb-making instructions. He's anti-Semitic. He sounds nice. Yeah, lovely. Young man, 21 or something, 21. Um, He was a university student and he's obviously gone in with a bad crowd. (laughs) And he was given a two-year suspended prison sentence and told to read Jane Austen and Shakespeare. Oh, and Dickens. (laughs) as part of his serious crime prevention order. This is our April Fool's episode, is it? Okay. What? (laughs) So. What the actual fuck are you talking about? He's been prescribed. Is Is this for real? Seriously? Yes. I'm quoting the judge now. Have you read Dickens? Austin, start with Pride and Prejudice and Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities, Shakespeare's Twelfth Night, Think about Hardy, think about Trollope. And then he has to report back to the court on what he's read and what he thinks of it. So apparently he he doesn't mind Jane Austen, but he prefers Shakespeare. Wow. Where do we start? We, we talked, was it season two, we had Dr. Beth Driscoll talking about the value of reading and what reading can bring and is some reading or some entertainment better than others? Is it intrinsically better? Don't put this on Beth. Don't try and put this on Beth. I wonder what she'd think of this. So I'm feeling quite on team with the idea that great literature can defeat terrorism. Well, only if you get a copy of Tolstoy and beat the terrorist to death with it, I imagine. What what are you trying, what, what, what? I'm just not sure that I would have picked Shakespeare because Shakespeare is so gory, right? And Twelfth Night. No, well, maybe not Twelfth Night, fair enough. But what if you hopped into Othello or or Macbeth or any of those English kings ones. So you might well have your violent tendencies reinforced that this is, um, yeah, Macbeth, he was very hard done by. (laughs) So I don't know. I think Shakespeare I find quite violent. So many Shakespeare's, not Twelfth Night, fair enough. And Austen maybe, is that relatable enough for a 21-year-old white supremacist anti-Semitic? I, I feel like I would have given him the Brontes. You know, they're they're gloomy and depressing and yet there is hope and there's not a lot of violence. Yeah, well, yes, I guess if you... But can we just go back to first principles? What was the judge doing? Was he punishing this boy or or um, is this meant to be therapy? It sounds like Alan de Baton kind of uh, literature as therapy or something. It must be rehabilitation, surely. It's not punishment. It's not punishment to read Shakespeare. Definitely not punishment to read Jane Austen. That's a reward. Well, I I imagine if you polled most 21-year-olds, let alone 
violent extremist anti-Semites, I think you might get a different view as to whether it constitutes cruel and unusual punishment or not. I can only guess that the judge thought that this would iron out the, 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 the terrorism and the interest in making bombs by reforming his mind. You know, you said that your jaw was subterranean and needed rescuing. Imagine the Taliban reading this. <laughs> what is going on in that decadent West? <laughs> what What are they doing to their terrorists? Maybe the Taliban would be quite sympathetic to the idea of holy literature and its power to influence people's minds. I, I really do not know where to start. And what baffles me almost more than the rest of it is that you you seem to think there's something to this. You think you just it's just the wrong list. It's given the wrong books. <laughs> <laughs> well, you and I have got what four degrees in literature between the two of us. Yes. Literature can save lives. I don't know that it saved my life. Do you think it saved your life? I think it played a really big part in forming the person that I was, that I am, in creating my personality. Yes, I do. Well, there we go. I mean, the, the difference between causation and correlation, how do you know what you might, what monster you might have turned into, Susie, had you not been rescued by Jane Austen and Shakespeare and Dorothy L. Sayers? <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't really believe. I mean, it's it feels so absurd. I just imagine this judge getting home from his day in court and the missus, whoever that might be, saying to him, Did you have a nice day today, dear? What did you get up to? <laughs> so we had this. We had this boy in court with 70,000 violent anti-Semitic terrorist documents. Oh, what did you do? Cut off his hands? Hang him? Told him to read Pride and Prejudice. Told him to? You did what? No soup for you. Also, it shows a belief in the classics of literature. I mean, if, if it's rehabilitation for a white supremacist, why not give him Toni Morrison? Why not give him Anne Frank? Why not give him... There are. You, you, one can't help thinking that this judge has got his definitions of the canon confused <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> I think the other kind of canon might be more suitable in this in this instance. Yeah, but you are right. I mean, this is this is all um, with the perhaps with the exception of Jane Austen, dead white males, and it's certainly the great Western tradition, isn't it? It's the great tradition of English literature. Yeah, and this this assumption that there is something special and unique about those authors, and that they are that they are magical, and if you give them to a violent extremist, he will then see the light somehow, which seems seems to me inherently unlikely. Wouldn't you have thought? Whether it's the wrong books, I'm, I'm not sure that's the issue there. <laughs> yeah, I do. I mean, I do think much of what these authors has written is magical, but whether it's magical to the point of having the power to convert someone who is this deeply enmeshed in hateful ideas is a, is another question. That's very close to the still current concern that video games are poisoning children's minds or, you know, a, a little while ago it was Video Nasties. I don't know if you, you might have been a bit too young to remember Video Nasties as the this thought that the, there were awful things being depicted on VHS cassettes. And, of course, because then you could pause them and rewind them and see them again, that somehow this was going to 
brand the minds of millions of children and they would be irretrievably damaged forever. The media that we consume is definitely getting more violent. I say we just sat down for a nice family viewing of The Shining this week. (laughs) And which the kids knew from the meme, you know, here's Johnny. And, and Jack Nicholson's creepy face poking through. It's a very, it's still a very disturbing film. It's quite now quite lightweight in terms of how graphic it is compared to Squid Game or, or whatever. All the evidence seems to be that young people are being exposed to pornography at a much younger age. And of course, the, the definition, the graphic definition of pornography is, is much greater than it was, you know, when you had to wait for a screen to refresh. And it would be, I think, silly not to be concerned about that, that 10 and 11-year-old children are being exposed to, in many cases, violent pornography depicted in very high definition. That would have to be concerning. So what would you have given to this 21-year-old with his 70,000 extreme right-wing white supremacist documents and interest in making bombs? If you weren't going to send him to jail, what would you have prescribed, if not Shakespeare? Well, it shows a commendable degree of dedication to the subject, doesn't it? 70,000. How many violent violent screeds do you need to get the point? I mean, that's that's actually, that's probably the most amazing thing. 70,000. I wonder what is what is really going on in that young man's life. I mean, the the way the judge described him makes him sound like kind of quite a, a, maybe this is just the defense, the way that they want him to be seen as young, lonely, impressionable, perhaps not terribly bright. That would be the obvious defense for someone who is reading such appalling material and, and espousing such awful hatred. What would I prescribe him? Well, you don't have to find the notion of literature ridiculous to at the same time, think that the current penal system that we have is clearly not working. It's a very expensive way of putting people out of circulation, but also there's very little in the way of rehabilitation and and preparing them for the outside world. It's a good question. I mean, you know, I suppose if I were being more honest about it and not just mocking, you know, what are the options available to the judge? Does he send this, this young boy down into prison to mix with people, you know, what is he going to, how is he going to benefit from that two years in prison? And then he comes out unemployable, perhaps having learnt some awful life lessons that might be better if he'd never learned at all. I don't know. Do you have a better thought than that? I want to place him amongst real people who are struggling and have him understand what it means to not be a white male and to not have whatever advantages he has. I think it's pretty hard to be horrifically racist if you are seeing the damage that can do up front. Can, can we just, just for the sake of clarity, I mean, I, I know you didn't mean to imply this, but just to be absolutely explicit about this, his crime is not to be white and male. No, of course. And I'm just, I'm thinking this out as I'm saying it, which is not probably not the best idea for podcasting. Oh, it's great yeah. from my point of view. This is fantastic. <laughs> Keep going. Keep digging, Susie. Keep digging. Well, could he go and work with, I don't know, migrant or refugee populations or something like that and get a deep understanding of what it is to live a difficult life through no fault of your own? Would that help? Would would a migrant or refugee organisation want a snotty young white supremacist to help them out? I don't know. You've raised a, a prospect there, which, and I think there's, there's real power in that. 
that actually what breaks down some of these entrenched hateful attitudes is exposure to the to the things that people are are ignorant of if you are violently racist that is mostly ignorance and if that's what you have been exposed to and brought up with then you've just kind of swallowed that hook line and sinker and it's the it's the worst dirtiest trick really that the system plays on people is to persuade you that really what's at fault is not the people at the top who are raking in all the money and have all the power it's actually the people who they can point to as being other and who are just ever so slightly different from you and somehow they're the ones who are who are the reason why you are suffering i mean that is the dirtiest lowest and most effective trick in the book. So I do think that actually getting to see that what you have been told is just a big white lie, a white lie, you know what I mean? I think there is real power in that. The practicality of it, how you actually apply that, I'm, I'm not quite sure. And who wants to take that on, right? Who wants to, to save this white supremacist? If you send him off to work with an organisation or the Jewish Museum or the whatever it is, are they taking responsibility for turning him around? So at least we're giving responsibility to Shakespeare and Jane Austen. They can take it. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And of course, we can suggest that that might be the way forward. But when actually what the system is doing simultaneously, you know, at the same time as selling otherness as, as the root cause of why you have got why you have never had it so bad it's shutting off the borders it's making it impossible for them to get here it's using every power within the system to tell us that really they are greedy and selfish because you know on some shore thousands of miles away they have given all of their life savings to someone who will almost certainly cheat them so that they can give their children one chance of not being blown up in a basement by dirty bombs so I'm beginning to feel some sympathy for the judge now. I never thought I'd hear myself say that. When you look at the the weak hand of possibilities that he's got. Yeah, but I see quite seriously, I'm I'm all for the redemptive power of literature. But is that the right literature? Well, and I'm not for the redemptive power of literature. I think as as I've said before, you know, the the thought of the Nazi guards doing their despicable work all day and then going home to weep at Mozart and, you know, reading the greats should be enough to tell us that it that's a myth. I don't think it's true. Mozart's not literature. <laughs> okay. <laughs> If we're going to prescribe literature to fix this young man, let's give him a canon that directly addresses the issues that he is he is tangled up on. So let's give him Toni Morrison. Let's give him Eli Wiesel. Let's give him Anne Frank. Let's give him black poets. Let's give him uh, Holocaust stories. Give him Mouse. Give him, give him reading that talks to discrimination and what it is to suffer because of the colour of your skin and because of your religion. And now our judge is turning, his face is turning puce with the names of, is not not literature? Would never have heard of most of those names anyway and wouldn't regard them as being great literature perhaps. Perhaps that's unfair, I don't know. But, yeah, it's an interesting thought. I wonder what would happen if he were subjected to that sort of writing from a, a really different experience. We'll never know. And can you read Shakespeare and get a deeper understanding of humanity? Or do you need to study Shakespeare? Like he's not been, as far as I could see, he's not been enrolled in a in a course or anything. He's just sitting down with his copy of Twelfth Night. Is even Shakespeare powerful enough 
just by having words of Shakespeare floating around to defeat white supremacism. I doubt it. I mean, there are very few other authors whose play scripts are read in the same way as Shakespeare's. You know, that's it's a it's a weird thing to read a play script when Twelfth Night or whatever it was that the judge was recommending is meant to be a script for a performance when it really comes to life. That's clearly not the issue. That's clearly not what's wrong with all of this. So please email us with literature suggestions for white supremacists <laughs> to Susie at bloomcast.com.au. Looking forward to your to your thoughts. Reviews, recommendations. 